Good morning. This is Let's Talk New Mexico. I'm Megan Kamrick, KUNM News Director in for Cave Movahead this week. And on Tuesday, the 2024 legislative session opened. This is a shorter 30-day session focused on the budget, and it comes as New Mexico is seeing historically high revenue, mostly from oil and gas development. But a few other issues that either require budgeting or are authorized by the governor will be on lawmakers' agendas. The governor is pushing for an array of public safety measures, including gun restrictions, while lawmakers are also focused on education reform, the state's child welfare agency and energy in the environment. We will discuss key legislative issues with a key lawmaker, advocates, and a longtime journalist. Are you following the legislative process or particular issues? Where do you think lawmakers and the governor should be focusing our financial resources? We want to hear from you. Email us at letstalk at kunm.org or call 505-277-5866. My first guest this morning is journalist and journalism professor Gwyneth Doland. She's joining us by Zoom. She is a correspondent for our media partner, New Mexico PBS, and she's also training journalism students on statehouse coverage this semester at the University of New Mexico. Gwyneth, thanks for joining us this morning. You have covered the Roundhouse for many years for several outlets, including KUNM. This is a 30-day budget session. What does that mean? How is this different from last year's 60-day session? Well, I'm so glad to be here, Megan. Thank you for having me. I, I want to say that, you know, on a on a very basic level, it means that there are thousands of New Mexicans who work in state government or work in government-funded programs who are waiting to see how much money they're going to have in their budgets come the fiscal year in July. So the entire functioning of the government you know, most of it depends on what lawmakers do and the decisions that they make now. It is like last year's session in that we have a lot of extra money. I know, uh, I know Leader Lane is gonna bring up that that money comes from oil and gas primarily. We're having a boom. So there's a lot of money in the budget uh, to play with. Um, not that they have to spend it all, but when there is a lot of money on the table, that means that everybody comes to the table with their hands up, right? And so everybody wants a piece of it. And it also makes things possible. You know, in lean years, we're like, oh, everybody says we wish we could. But in fat years, um, then some things are possible. This year, of course, people are talking about, again, how do we insulate ourselves uh, for the future? Fat years. I'm just thinking like it's fat bear month at the legislature. <laughs> A little bit. <laughs> Gwyneth, given this focus, how much does how how does legislation reach committees? Who, who decides what is co- so, quote unquote, germane to the budget? If you're going to get down in the weeds, Megan, I'll go down in there with you. Um, <laughs> try to keep it less wonky, but understandable. <laughs> No, I know it's confusing. You know, uh, we are all here watching the budget, putting together the budget, um, but there can be other things on the agenda. And I think we heard Governor, uh, the governor talk about this in her speech on Tuesday. She's got a big public safety agenda. And those are things that are not directly related. She's also indicated to various groups, we've heard them say the governor's gonna put this on the call. Uh, those are air quotes. Uh, for you, those of you listening, right <laughs> on the call, uh, or it, and technically, what she does is send a legislative message that uh, says this is good. Now, there's a committee in the House and one in the Senate that uh, looks over 
whether things are related and whether they can legally be, uh, they can move forward. And that's called germane. Um, and so if she has sent a message, if it's related to the budget, then it can move forward. And Gwyneth, the Legislative Finance Committee, released its budget proposal. The governor released hers. Now what happens between those two documents? Now we meet on the quad for a rumble. (laughs) You mean by the statue of the kids playing tug of war, which everyone takes a picture of during the session at key parts? It's actually so much more complicated than that. (laughs) But yeah. Um, And, you know, they're not hugely different in terms of number and there's a lot of this is kind of baked in and can't be moved around that much right the vast majority of the budget is education between public schools higher ed and early childhood that's a lot more than half of the budget right there um public safety is a big uh, piece but uh, but health care is bigger um so a lot of the sexy things that we're talking about these new ideas these little things they're actually tiny pieces of the budget. And, you know, committees, lawmakers have been working all year long on this. Right. Going through the interim session, uh, going to committee hearings. And and in the past few months, in the run up to this session, um, all of the parts of government come and make their They make their they sit on Santa's knee and they whisper their list into his ear. <laughs> That's a gross metaphor. But you know what I mean? They come to. Uh, they come to lawmakers and they present their budgets and they make their asks and all of these things kind of get melded together. Um, so the governor's not going to get everything she wants and the uh, legislative finance committee is it's not going to get everything it wants. Um, but when there's a lot of money on the table, more people will get what they want than in other years. Thanks, Gwyneth. Um, Also joining us this morning by Zoom is House Minority Leader Republican Ryan Lane. Good morning, Representative Lane. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, Megan, and good morning, Gwyneth. Long time no see. (laughs) Yeah, you'll see uh, you'll see Leader Lane and me on New Mexico in Focus tomorrow night at seven. (laughs) Uh, Representative Lane, the two budget proposals, as Gwyneth said, were not far apart in terms of total money. What are the priorities for your party in this year of historically high revenues? How should we take advantage of this windfall? So, you know, we're focused on a few different things. Um, Education is really the foundation of of what I would call the issues that our state are facing. You know, that's that's the real reason as to why we're 50th in so many important metrics. And so uh, we have a few things that we're gonna focus on. Uh, we're very focused on the science of reading and making sure that kids are able to read at grade level from, K- from kindergarten through third grade. So we're gonna be introducing a couple of bills along those lines, also trying to secure some funding to make sure that teachers are being trained in that. It, it sounds strange, but, but coming out of uh, teachers' colleges, um, they are not receiving that science of reading. Um, so it seems to be an issue. Uh, we're also focused on career and technical education. We think that's a place where there's broad need, whether it's the metro areas or the rural areas. Uh, we're in desperate need of, of good plumbers, electricians, um, those trades. And that's something where I think we can train a young workforce. They can leave high school and be immediately ready to enter into an apprenticeship program and get to work immediately if that's a field they're interested in. So we're trying to push some money towards CTE as well. Um, crime's obviously an issue in the state, particularly in the Albuquerque metro area. Uh, so we have uh, the Republican caucus has some members running some bills to address the issue we have with career criminals, 
um, the pretrial release issues. Uh, we have a member who's trying to tackle the issue with right now uh, with DWI with regard to alcohol, it's objective. So if you're 0.08 or higher, the law says, you know, you're guilty of driving under the influence. Well, when it comes to uh, drugs, we don't have an objective measure uh, and other states do. And so we're trying to figure out a solution for for New Mexicans on the roads to keep them safe. So that's not a political. Um, so that's an issue, too, as well, that we're trying to tackle. Um, Health care is an issue in our rural areas. Um, so we're trying to look at, you know, Medicaid reimbursement rates, um, trying to deal with the malpractice cap issues. So there's a lot. I know it's a 30 day, um, but our state has an abundance of resources and unfortunately, many problems to tackle. And the biggest chunk of state revenue is from oil and gas development. Now, that's a rather volatile source, given that, you know, we don't know for certain what next year looks like, what next year looks like, pardon me. So what makes the most sense in terms of when we're setting spending priorities right now? Yeah, it's a great question. And really, that, that kind of highlights the difference between the exec's budget and LFC's budget recommendation is the the amount of recurring spending is is a substantial difference hmm. uh so the lfc rec is somewhere around five percent and the govs i think is approaching ten percent in terms of recurring funding and the reason why that matters is you're right um oil and gas can can boom it can bust it can do everything in between and when you're trying to budget based off of that type of volatility it's really important that you don't grow government to the extent to where now you're you're obligating future um future generations essentially to continue to pay for that growth in government. And in my opinion, the better use of this additional money that we've received uh, would be one-time uh, injections into the economy. So whether that's infrastructure, you know, improving roads, bridges, whether that's doing water projects, uh, we have a number of projects on the books that have a shortfall because of inflation and the cost of construction. So this would be a great time to sure up those projects as well. And, and honestly, those are projects that make a difference in, in our local communities. Uh, so I think that's a great way to put our tax dollars to work without obligating ourselves for future spending. We do have a caller, um, Camilla from Albuquerque. Camilla, thanks for calling Let's Talk New Mexico. What did you want to say today? Yeah, thank you for taking my call. I guess I wanted to point out the science of climate change. I mean, it's great to have all of these funds coming in. Um, but we're now the second largest producer of oil in the country. And I'm wondering what the long-term costs of that are. I mean, the country is facing extreme weather right now. In New Mexico, what, 450 homes were burned down and extreme fires driven by climate change. So we need to do a cost-benefit analysis and understand what the costs to our communities are by not addressing the science of climate change. And in this session, it looks to me, I work with the Sierra Club, that there'll be some good progress on climate change, but not comprehensive action. And I think if we're going to really do what we need to do to keep New Mexico a livable place, we have to understand that Climate change is driving drought. It's driving the extreme weather that we experienced this summer, that the fires we're experiencing 
some people will say are from forest management, but the Forest Service can't manage forests that have 0% humidity, no no matter how much thinning they do. Okay. So. Okay. Uh, Thank you, Camilla. I appreciate you calling in. Representative Lane, I want to go back to you on that. to get your reaction to Camilla's comments, we do have this amazing revenue from oil and gas development. But, you know, is your party looking at how do we we're using our resources here to fund these things for state government? But what about the future and what about the cost? How do we factor that in? Yeah, I mean, I, I do think climate change is real. Um, I think it's something we need to, to consider. Um but I think there's a misnomer. It's it's actually not the cataclysmic event coming. What we don't like to talk about is is poverty kills more people uh, globally and nationwide than than climate change is even going to come close to. And so we have these conversations. I think at a high level that hey, we need to 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 get out of the fossil fuel industry business. But you want to talk about the cost that will do nothing but increase the cost of energy. Uh, And by the way, the demand for energy is not going down anytime soon. And so it's really easy for people to talk about climate change uh, when we have this sort of ivory tower mentality in Santa Fe. But when you're trying to make ends meet month to month, it makes a big difference. You know, I I live up in the Four Corners area. The Navajo Nation is are are my neighbors. Thirty four percent of those folks of those households don't have electricity. And we talk about climate change. Um, you know, the reality is, if you look at the science, Mexico has some of the cleanest natural gas on the planet. The technology that we've developed and the regulations that have come underneath Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham means that the extraction process actually is very clean. Um, the production process is very clean. The refining process is very clean. And so, to me, it's not an either or. It's not fossil fuels versus renewables. To me, I think if you if you want to talk about real energy that's abundant, that's reliable, and it's affordable, I think you do need wind. I think you do need solar. I think you need nuclear, and I think you need natural gas. Um, so I think it's a misnomer to think that you know climate change is this um, impending doom. When in reality, poverty it kills way more people, and that should be our biggest focus. Uh, we need to go to a break. Um, this is Let's Talk New Mexico on 89.9 KUNM. I'm Megan Kamrick. We're taking your calls about the legislative session. You can call us at 505-277-5866. We'll be right back. Support comes from Opus OP Arts and Education Projects, presenting Discovering the Music of Bach with Oliver Prezant and violinist Stephen Redfield on January 18th and 19th in Santa Fe and Albuquerque. Info at oliverprezant.com. Connect to your local community by becoming a KUNM business underwriter. Program support through underwriting highlights your business while supporting news and locally curated music. To become a business underwriter, contact Kelly at 505-277-3969. I'm Maria Hinojosa, next time on Latino USA. Every time they need a gang member, call a Latino. (laughs) A narco, call a Latino. I sit down with Mexican comedy star Eugenio Derbez, We talk about becoming a dramatic actor and how he wants to change the narrative of Latinos in Hollywood. That's next time on Latino USA. That's Latino USA, Monday mornings at 8 a.m. on KUNM. 
Welcome back to Let's Talk New Mexico. I'm Megan Kamrick. You can email us at letstalk at KUNM.org. Today we're talking about New Mexico's 30-day legislative session focused on the state budget. Uh, we have Representative Ryan Laney, the House Minority Leader, with us, and um, he, we have him until 8.30. We also have uh, Paige Knight. She's Deputy Policy Director with New Mexico Voices for Children. Um, Paige, you all have laid out your legislative priorities. I think everyone wants a healthier, safer, more prosperous state for families, but approach the way to get there very differently. Um, I was wondering if you could talk about how Voices thinks this revenue windfall could help do that. And, um, you know, Representative Lane expressed concern about if we address climate change um, the way perhaps some of the administration wants to, that ignores poverty. But I, 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 I saw from your priorities, I think you see some linkages there, <laughs> if you could talk about that. Yeah, good morning. Hi, Megan. Thanks so much for having me on. So, yeah, a, a lot of our focus at New Mexico Voices for Children is on healthy communities and safe communities. And so when we think about, you know, public safety, we definitely view that from kind of a broader lens. So when you have, you know, truly healthy communities, you have safer communities. And we all deserve the opportunity for good health, regardless of our zip code or income levels. And that opportunity is tied to much more than, you know, access to medical care. So our children need environments that are enriching and full of opportunities to explore the world and free from dangers in order to grow up to be healthy, happy, and productive adults. But unfortunately, you know, many families in New Mexico have limited access to these types of resources or opportunities that are critical for healthy development. Uh, we know that children of color and those in families earning low incomes face the biggest barriers and systemic inequities when it comes to housing, to education, employment, support services, and health care. Inequities that we refer, refer to as uh, social determinants of health that directly contribute to disparities in health conditions and outcomes. So, you know, we believe that we need sustained investments in our families in policies and programs that address the social determinants of health that ensure kids have stable and affordable housing, quality education, safe parks and outdoor spaces, access to mental health care, and ample opportunities for kids to just be kids and enjoy their childhood, you know, free from toxic and financial stress. And those investments, though, you know, those, those take adequate and sustainable revenue. And we as a state have not always had that, and in large part due to our over-reliance on the boom and bust cycle of the oil and gas industry. You know, we had what's referred to as the last decade following the Great Recession that led to a lot of cuts to programs and services that help families and provide those opportunities. You know, we, of course, have revenues now that have allowed us to make these sorts of critical investments in our families and our communities these past few years. But we need to be able to sustain those investments with reliable revenue streams because addressing the social determinants of health providing opportunities for our kids, reducing adverse childhood experiences, addressing the root causes that can lead someone down a path of violent crime. That all takes time and sustained investments and resources that aren't, you know, cut when we're short on revenue. Now, the good news is we're seeing a lot of really great progress from those increased investments we've been able to make lately. We're on the right track, and we, we believe we need to stay the course as a state to set our kids up for success now and for generations to come. 
We do have a caller, Owen from Albuquerque, um, had a question for Representative Lane. Owen, you're on the air. What did you want to say? Yeah, I just had a, a quick question about, um, well, uh, two concerns. As an avid sportsman, I'm deeply concerned about the Supreme Court ruling concerning waterways and protection because 95% of the southwestern waterways no longer fall under the Clean Water, Clean Water Act, as I understand that. I know that some states have funding and state-level mechanisms to continue those uh, protections that we lost, but my understanding is New Mexico is not one of them. And so that's my first concern. My second concern is I would really like to know what uh, the gentleman who was speaking earlier is going to do about global poverty, since he used that as a reason to shut down the caller's very valid concerns about climate change. Okay, thank you, Owen. Um, Representative Lane, I know uh, you are limited in how much you can do about global poverty, but let's talk about New Mexico. Um, you're talking about regulations on oil and gas and the env- uh, for environmental uh, health can also adversely impact certain economic sectors. Um, so what kinds of things are the Republicans in the legislature this year looking at in terms of addressing our, you know, are lingering poverty issues in New Mexico. Well, I, I find it ironic that that we launch uh, an attack of, about talking about global, or excuse me, poverty at the global level, yet we want to talk about climate change at the global level um, and how we can move the needle in New Mexico with regard to global poverty. Yet we're okay with the discussion revolving around uh, moving the needle from New Mexico for global warming. So. I want to point that out. The reality is, and this is the point I was making, is, again, I think that global warming is real, and it's something we need to put our heads together to address, but it's not the biggest issue facing our nation. It's not the biggest issue facing our state. It's poverty. Poverty kills more people year over year over year than what the science shows that global warming is ever going to do. But does so it, can really, I just ask you very quickly, as Paige pointed out, a lot of people who are in poverty, people of color, are adversely impacted by environmental pollution. I saw this when I lived in Louisiana. There's a bill right now in the legislature to ensure there aren't oil and gas wells very close to schools. So I don't think the two are, are they're inextricably linked in a lot of ways. Well, the reality is, is that the oil and gas industry, and I, and I don't understand why, why this industry is painted as evil. Um, it, it's, it's the reason why this, this podcast is even happening. Um, if you look at the technology, look at the petroleum products that we all have on right now that are in your studio, uh, it's not an evil industry. And I can tell you growing up in a rural area um, where there are a lot of people of color, my wife included, my children, that industry provides real jobs to these communities where there are not opportunities otherwise. Uh, and so I don't understand you know, the, the pushback against this industry it is the technology has caught up to where it's very clean in what it does and in what it produces. Uh, it provides a, a viable resource to our state and it provides a reliable source of energy. And so I don't understand sort of the pushback against industry, particularly when we want to talk about the revenue to the, that it produces. Um, if we have an issue with the industry, then why are we willing to spend their money? Um, There are several efforts by the governor to update the Oil and Gas Act. As Capital and Maine reported, the Oil Conservation Division, the primary regulator for the industry, brought together numerous people from industry and conservation groups to create a bill to do this. What what is your take on this effort? So, again, I think 
if you look at how broad the oil and gas act is that they're trying to produce um I, it's quite troubling and and again i'm okay with responsible regulations i'm okay with responsible drilling extraction refining all of that i think that makes complete sense uh, what this will do though to both the san juan basin where up where i live and the permian basin is it, it will make it nearly impossible to do any kind of new drilling and you want to talk about an issue when it comes to revenue and when it comes to new mexican jobs and that'll do it. Uh, Representative Lane, I know we have you only uh, for a few more minutes, but uh, education issues are another big bipartisan issue this session. How are Republican lawmakers focusing their efforts and where are your points of agreement and disagreement with your Democratic colleagues and the governor? So, you know, I talked to earlier about the science of reading and, and CTE. Those are two. What does areas. CTE stand for again? I'm sorry. Oh, uh, no, you're good. Career and technical education. Got it. Um, so those are two areas where we have a lot of agreement on both sides of the issue, and it's something that, that would make a practical difference as well. You know, the other thing that I would mention um, is I think we need to be giving parents more options. Um, right now, we have so much funding. Now is the time to fully fund public education, but also give parents who who live in these failing school districts, give their children other options. And so I think that's something we need to consider as well. So you're talking about school choice. Would you take money away from public education for that? Uh, that's not the language I used. I okay. said we can work on public education and still Sorry. <laughs> provide other opportunities for parents. Okay. Uh, Representative Lane, I know you have to go. Um, anything else you wanted to add before we I let you get? Okay. I don't believe so. Thank you. Thank you for joining us this morning. We appreciate it. Thank you. Um, that was Representative Ryan Lane. He is the House Minority Leader. Um, also joining us is Mandy Torres. She's a former teacher. In fact, she was the 2020 Teacher of the Year. And she's now Education Reform Director with Think Tank New Mexico, a nonprofit think tank. Mandy, you all put several priorities on education reform forward. Can you briefly explain those and how do they intersect with what perhaps Representative Lane was talking about? Sure. Um, so what I'll first talk about is class, reducing elementary class sizes. Um, there's some great work taking place in our state with things like structured literacy and CTE that Rep, um, Representative Lane mentioned, and those are worthy of additional funding. But those things need time to develop and take shape before we really start to receive, see the results that we expect. So we also need some actions that will offer a balance. And reducing elementary class size is something that would make a difference tomorrow for our students and our teachers. Um, first with student achievement and second with teacher satisfaction, both urgent issues in our state because the needle still isn't moving on academic proficiency and we are losing a lot of great teachers who don't feel supported and are simply choosing to walk away from the classroom. With student learning, you know, we keep harping on the fact that students lost out on a lot of learning time during the pandemic, and we keep harping on that because the fallout continues, and we haven't helped enough of our students make up that ground, um, especially those who have been traditionally underserved by our education system. Um, so some of that fallout is absenteeism. Students have disengaged and simply don't come to school. Some of that fallout is students struggling to read past third grade. Um, it looks like teachers struggling to manage worsening behavior issues, um, and class size addresses all of those issues. Um, and New Mexicans get it. We did a poll um, of, New of New Mexico voters in November and found that 96% believe that class size is important um, to overall student success, and that 83% would support a law that would cap all elementary classes at 20 students, which is what we're striving for. And that's a move that many other states have already done, and many at even lower numbers than what we're proposing. 
And, um, you know, one of the first reactions that we often get to that is, well, how are we supposed to make this work with a teacher shortage? And we actually think it's the best solution to the problem. If we can show teachers that we're listening, um, that we value their efforts, and we can keep more of them from leaving. Um, and at the same time, we have to change the narrative about what it's like to be a teacher so that we can attract more bright and innovative students to the profession. Um, if you're a high school student thinking about your future and you have a bunch of stressed out teachers in front of you every day who don't seem to be enjoying their job, you're probably not going to want to become a teacher. Um, and so we're also um, a proposing a phased in approach where we would add a grade level to the cap every year until we get that cap K to six at 20 students, which would allow districts time for planning for staffing and spacing. Um, you know, our legislature and the PED have put great initiatives in place to get more teachers in the classroom and the phase in also allows time for those initiatives to work. Um, would you, I wanted to ask our listeners a question, should we keep increasing education spending after the windfall to early childhood um, or are other priorities more important? You can call 505-277-5866 or email us at letstalk at org and tell us what you think. Um, Mandy, um, lower, I mean, lowering class sizes, what is, does that mean like, do we have to have more schools, bigger schools, more classrooms? We already see schools that you have to use portables. So what physically, what would that look like? It's a great idea, right? Sure. Mm -hmm. The spacing is an issue. You know, of course, we would, want, uh, we would want to have a fund in there where districts could, um, you know, get those portables for now. But we'd also like them to have long-term plans for, you know, for fixing that problem um, with spacing. We, we talked to one superintendent who has said class size is her top priority. Mm. And she already has a plan. You know, she has sixth graders currently in her elementary school. She says, you know, with these what with this one-time money, we can build a wing onto our middle school, move our sixth graders over. Um, and then that gives us more room in our elementary schools. Um, another superintendent said, you know, we just have to go building by building, room by room, and figure figure out what we need to do. Um, you know, a lot of the superintendents that we've talked to, they're educators. So they do want to do this. They just need the funding and the help. And I think they feel like this one-time money is a good use of, of, of that money to help them build that, um, get the building space and find those te teachers. Um, I do have, I want to take a caller, um, Larry from Albuquerque. And I apologize, Larry, I think you were trying to get in when we were talking environment with uh, Representative Lane, but he had to go. But I wanted to Make sure you got your call in. Are you still there, Larry? Laurie, I'm sorry. Laurie, are you there? Hello? Okay, well, we'll try to get Laurie back on. Um, Mandy, I noticed one of your priorities was extended learning time, but there has been a bit of pushback on the proposal to extend the school year to 180 days. And as you pointed out, we're already losing teachers. And last year, the legislature did increase the number of hours of instructional time. Why do we need to add more? Um, you know, our organization has been in support because the research shows that it can be a game changer when it's well done. Um, and again, I think, you know, teachers would tell you that we have to put that quality in place first. And I think that's kind of where you're seeing some of the pushback. Um, but reducing class sizes can have a huge impact on quality um, because teachers have more time to plan for individualized learning and more importantly, um, time to build relationships with students and families. So, um, you know, there there is a two trains of thought sort of emerging there um, and neither side's really wanting to budge an inch. You know, have local control versus executive mandates. 
Um, and, you know, I think they're just going to have to come to a, a consensus and find a happy medium. You know, the governor was on a White House panel yesterday um, talking about, you know, we, you know, not enough schools are doing the extended learning time. Um, I think she's a little bit frustrated because a lot of districts cut back on hours, actually, after um, HB 130 passed with 1140 hours. Mm-hmm. Um, but districts are saying, you know, you we've already we've been working on the hours. Um, and, you know, now you're you also want to have days um, and you haven't given us enough time to put all those things in place and you keep changing things up on us. So I think that's also some of the frustration as well. Um, I know there's a bill coming forth that would give school boards the, the authority to decide on days. Um, and so that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, but I think the governor knows that that research work, the research, um, the extended learning time works, especially for our, for our underserved students. Um, and so we're just going to kind of have to see how that plays out this session. Uh, what are some of the education issues that you think the legislature should be addressing in this 30-day session? You can call us here at KUNM 505-277-5866. Mandy with Think New Mexico, is education a bipartisan issue in the state legislature? Are there particular tensions we should be looking out for, like maybe urban versus rural or something like that, or you know some other ideological issues? I mean, I think you're seeing some of that play out with 180 days because it really focused on those four-day school week or four, right. four days. Right, some rural weeks. areas have those four-day. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, sure, and and in, they have great. You know, there are reasons for that. Um, whether it's for because you know you have kids who are riding a bus an hour to school every day. You know, they're spending a lot of time on the bus, uh, and so having them on the bus one less day makes sense. Um, and so I, I do think that you're going to see some of those issues play out. And I think it's partly, um, you know, you, um, we talked about the budgets. There's a, for education. There's the governor's budget. There's the LFC budget, and there's a budget from the Legislative Education Study Committee. So right. now you've yeah. got three competing entities with very different views on what should be happening. Um, you know, from teacher salaries to the extended learning time to to what, you know, what we want to do with structured literacy. Um, so again, it's, you know, they're going to have to find some some way to come to a happy medium um, on a lot of different issues where they're on very different sides. I know the governor today is making a big literacy push announcement um, up in Santa Fe. Uh, you're listening to Let's Talk New Mexico on KUNM. I'm Megan Kamrick. What questions do you have about the legislative session? Email us at letstalkkunm.org. Stay right there. We'll be back in just a minute. A few years ago, violist Jordan Bach and his wife fell in love with a stray cat. They took him in and named him after the composer of Bach's favorite viola concerto, Bela Bartok. We'll hear Jordan Bach play his favorite concerto by Bartok in concert on the next performance today from 8 p.m. Weekday mornings at 9 on KUNM. Did you resolve to make 2024 the year you'd clear out stuff you don't need anymore? If you have an old car, truck, boat, motorcycle, or RV that isn't worth fixing, we can help you keep that New Year's resolution. Just call 888-KUNM-CAR. We'll tow it away, sell it, and send you a tax receipt. Plus, you'll get a KUNM membership good through the rest of the year. Just call 888-KUNM-CAR. That's 888-586-6227. 
Welcome back to Let's Talk New Mexico on KUNM. I'm Megan Kamrick. We are talking about the legislative session that started this week. If you have any questions for our guests, you can call 505-277-5866. Paige Knight from New Mexico Voices for Children. Um, you noted many, many of your priorities revolve around leg- or, um, education, early childhood investment. Um, we just heard Mandy talk about there are like three competing, probably, budget priority <laughs> groups. Um, what do you want to see come out from those competing things, given our windfall and knowing that these could be gone next year in terms of revenue? Yeah, well, we have voices. We certainly want to make sure that we're able to continue investing in cradle-to-career education. So increasing funding for early childhood care and education services, you know, so we can maintain those. Uh, maintain that child care assistance, zero dollar co-pays, and implementing the wage and career ladder for early childhood workers as, as well. We know that supporting kids in their earliest years is one of the smartest investments we can make. Uh, when it comes to K-12 funding, you know, we definitely want to increase targeted funding to support students named specifically in the Yazi Martinez lawsuit. So the state has done a really good job increasing funding since the Yazi Martinez ruling, but there is still work to be done. Uh, we know that it's it's more expensive to educate a child uh, living in poverty to the same level as their more affluent peers, about 40% more. So we're on the right track, but there are still disparities in outcomes for students who are low income, who are Native American, who are English language learners, and students with disabilities as well. Um, so we can target funding through the Family Income Index is one way to get the dollars to programs that are designed to support students who are low income. And, you know, there's been a lot of talk on structured literacy and the science of reading. We just want to make sure that the state continues to focus on structured literacy to improve reading proficiency. But it will also be critical to remember that, you know, we have multilingual learners and to support the creation of materials and curricula that are homegrown, that are based on the science of reading and that consider the unique needs of bilingual and uh, multilingual learners. We're also, you know, especially supportive of the proposal to create the Tribal Education Trust Fund that will allow dollars to flow directly to tribes for educational purposes, you know, giving greater support for tribal sovereignty and educating the young people. And then, um, you know, last thing I'll say when it comes to higher ed, we also want to make sure to fully fund the Opportunity Scholarship. The Opportunity Scholarship is working. New Mexico is one of the only states in the nation where college enrollment is growing after about a decade of decline, and that started after the Opportunity Scholarship was created. So we want to stay, you know, this trend of investing in higher education, which provides a great economic return on investment. We need to be sure the scholarship is fully funded, retains its flexibility, and remains a true scholarship. Gwyneth is excited about that since she's a college teacher. Yeah, I do. I want to give a hell yeah to that. (laughs) As a professor, I, I will say, you know, I have more students now who I often ask them, like, who's here on the lottery scholarship? And it's, uh, there are more opportunity scholarship folks now. Folks are coming mm-hmm. back to school. And my classes are bigger than they have been in years. And obviously, I'm super happy about that. So thanks for mentioning it, Paige. We have a caller, Betsy. Um, she is a grandma of a third grader and mother of a teacher. Betsy, thanks for calling from Albuquerque. What did you want to say? I need to speak to you with regard to the classroom sizes. I know that has been one of the discussion issues. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a I have a granddaughter who's in third grade, which is the hardest grade of grade school. And there are 26 students in her classroom. They the school is not 
not complying with the PED requirement of 20 students. Um, 26 is too many to teach when a teacher cannot get um, a student aide or anybody else to assist. So I go in two days a, a week and I do remedial reading for nothing. I just volunteer. I want my granddaughter to uh, be able to read. They also have no, um, they have one reading interventionalist specialist for 500 students in that school. They, uh, so we are losing our third graders. They are, they are slipping behind. And I'd like to know, and the, the uh, I'd like to know why we are not holding the feet to the fire with regard to the size of classroom. Second thing, I have a daughter who teaches high school math at uh, Albuquerque Public Schools, and she is an, she teaches five classes a day, and her classes range in size from 28 students to 32. And yesterday, in one of her 28, in one of her classrooms that has 28 students, she got three new students that were transferred in. Without her knowledge, they just appear at the door. She's got no support from the um, administration. They just say, well, you know, we just have to put them someplace. Thank you, Betsy. Uh, Mandy, uh, do you feel like some of the legislative priorities think is put out would address this? And why, why are not schools able to keep the class sizes where they're supposed to. For sure. So let me clarify. So there's a couple of things in place. So mm-hmm. we're proposing a 20 student cap. Curr- uh, okay. So currently, in current law, the only grade that is capped is kindergarten, and that's mm. capped at 20. Unfortunately, um, we did a deep dive into the research and found that 32% of our kindergarten classes are actually over 20. Um, and so as you kind of go up with, in, in grade bands one to three, there's an average. So you can have an average of 22 students. So that's why that third that grade class of 26 can happen because probably there's some smaller classes in maybe first grade that sort of make, you know, let them fall within the average. Um, and same thing with four to sixth grade, there's an average of 24. So we want to get rid of that average. Um, and there's also an issue with a waiver system. Um, and so there is sort of a safety valve for districts to be able to apply for a waiver, you know, if they get the three students that come in, that move in unexpectedly. So they can go above the average or go above that. Um, we kind of feel maybe there's a little bit of, of an abuse of that waiver system, and it should really just be reserved for extreme situations. Um, so unfortunately, um, the same thing at high school, there are certain class loads, but, you know, I've talked to um, legislators who are educators who, you know, have large class loads and lar- large class sizes. And so I think that's what our bill is really proposing um, is at least for elementary to put the cap on those class sizes and make sure that um, that those waivers are much harder to get. Um, we have our final guest, and I'm so sorry, Rob, I meant to get to you earlier. Uh, he is the CEO of the New Mexico Chamber of Commerce, Rob Black. Just a quick aside, I read that you were tour manager for Midnight Oil this in 1993, <laughs> which is pretty cool. And you learned to play the didgeridoo, so did you bring that? I did not bring my didge with me today. <sighs> okay. <laughs> Next time. Rob, we uh, I was a business reporter for many years, and I recall an accountant friend asking me why my beats included education. He wondered why business folks cared about education, but that's part of your legislative priorities. Absolutely. And, and, I, and I'll start with a, a very personal story based on the conversation we were just having. I have a third grader in APS. There are 30 kids in that third grade class, but the first grade class has 15. So what they've done is really shifted around, but it puts a huge burden on 
uh, on those later class teachers. Thankfully, my child's teacher is amazing. She's incredible, and she's doing a great job. But it is an incredible burden. Um, and so I do think uh, and, and applaud Think New Mexico's leadership on this. Um, and But for in a broader context, education is a foundation for success uh, for the next generation. Uh, the New Mexico Chamber is focused on ensuring that every child in New Mexico, uh, whether you're born in, in Pecos or Lovington or in the South Valley, has a, the same equality of opportunity for a quality education and a quality career in their community. But all that starts with that educational infrastructure. So we're, I think there's a strong uh, shared values uh, and, and goals around the science of reading, ensuring that we're getting it, getting our children to read at third grade levels by third grade. Um, we're also really focused on, as 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 a leader, Lane talked about career technical education, and and creating that pathway from early childhood. So we're doing whether it's home visiting, prenatal, to our opportunity scholarship. We've built an amazing lattice and infrastructure support around our educational systems here in New Mexico, in many ways unique to the country. Where we've got a unique gap, however, is around uh, career certifications that are not tied to a two or four year degree. So let's talk, so that could be a, a CDL, a commercial driver's license, a welding certificate, a coding boot camp. CNM has a great five week coding boot camp cable splicing for broadband. We need 1,800 new cable splicers in this state over the next few years. Where are those going to come from? Those are, uh, and Santa Fe Community College has a great five-day certification program. None of those are covered by the Opportunity Scholarship. Mm, okay. So we have this gap that we thought we had filled, but we didn't. So we would like to see a trust fund created that allows for especially targeting low-income communities, low-income students, to help them get into the economy in a meaningful way with a skill or a trade that can um, really help them be successful. So that's one of our priorities this coming session. We know that there's been $80 million set aside in this year's budget. We want to make sure that vehicle creates a – a process and a structure that can really support those communities. I want to jump in because Gwyneth was waving her hand at me on Zoom. <laughs> yes, Gwyneth? I was. <laughs> because, you know, I, I, I was listening to Rob talk about this. And, you know, we are, I am working on the other end of this spectrum right now, too. Uh, this semester, I'm bringing up 14 of my advanced reporting students in our capstone class to teach them some legislative reporting because we are so uh, in a tough spot in journalism in New Mexico. We have lost a lot of reporters. We basically lost a generation of reporters in the past you know, 15 years since I started covering the Statehouse. And I, I want to just say thank you to the Department of Workforce Solutions, which is working with me at UNM on our New Mexico local news internships and fellowships program. So we have a little bit of money uh, that we have used to put our students in local newsrooms uh, for these internships where they learn from experienced journalists how to do this job. And so, yeah, we need cable splicers and we need all of these other folks, but we also need journalists in order to support our democracy. And so I'm a big fan of career and technical education. I, I really believe that what I do in the classroom is important, but what my students do in the newsroom during internships and fellowships is secretly way more important. 
I have to confess we have been a beneficiary of that New Mexico Local News Fund with Jeanette Didius, who you might see in the Roundhouse if you're up there with Gwyneth, um, and also over the summer, Mia Casas, who's now our student reporter. Um, I'm going to get back to you on what you're doing around that and statehouse coverage, Gwyneth, but I want to go back to Rob. Um, you have other legislative priorities. One of them is infrastructure, water, roads, internet, even housing. I was curious about that. One. Absolutely. Well, housing is an important part of how we're going to uh, build a workforce, have a workforce stay here. Uh, one of the advantages of New Mexico is our cost of living, lower cost of living. But if we're not building housing uh, in all levels, all kind of ladder levels from rental housing uh, to single family homes, we're, we're going to be lacking in that regard. So there is a... Uh, Enterprise Investment Fund that has uh, been designated by the executive budget to put a significant amount of, I think, $250 million additional funds into Mm -hmm. that can not only support hard-to-build infrastructure around key economic opportunities and uh, labs, uh, biotech labs, other types of things, but also affordable housing. So those are things, I think, uh, and they create a public-private partnership in order to do that. So... That's a big piece. The, the governor's strategic water reserve effort, we think that's a really important thing as we think about climate resilience, the needs for water in the future, our need to be able to grow our economy off of our reliance on oil and gas. Water is going to be a key part of that. So we think that those investments uh, over the long term are going to be very important for the state. So absolutely, that whole aspect around how do we build an infrastructure, especially with one-time dollars uh, that are part of this budget surplus, Let's set ourselves up for success in the long run. Uh, and you, the chamber is also focusing on, well, a couple things. Easing regulations, which I would expect from a chamber of commerce. Of course, but you know, the governor mentioned that in her yeah. State of the State speech, mm-hmm. right? Because she was talking about the need of affordable housing, but we have so many regulations that mm. bog down uh, our ability to actually move things forward, whether that's a housing uh development or a high voltage power line that we need to move renewable energy. Those things need to be done quickly and efficiently while protecting the interests of the community, the environment. But we've got to get a better balance here in this state. But also supporting an innovation ecosystem. Yes. So how are those related? (laughs) Well, so the chamber has four areas that Mm -hmm. we're really focused on making New Mexico more competitive for growth because we do see oil and gas revenues starting to decline over the next decade. If we're not competitive for investment and growth in other industries, we're going to leave the next generation of New Mexico in a deeper state of poverty. So that means we need to improve our business climate. We need to improve our innovation ecosystem, our education workforce, and our infrastructure. So you mentioned innovation ecosystem. We want to be able to take an idea to a $100 million a year company and stay here in New Mexico. So one initiative specifically we have for that this year is in in extending our current angel investment tax credit, which is driving about 40% additional revenue into startup companies here in New Mexico. We'd like to see that 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 tax credit is, is expiring this year. So we'd like to see that extended. So that's one specific issue on the innovation ecosystem. So it, it spurs people with resources to invest more in startup in New Mexico companies. companies absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, Rob, I read an interview when you took the job at the Albuquerque Journal. You said, we are five to 10 years from peak demand of oil and gas in the state, not peak supply because of the climate crisis, because of change in policy. We've got a very limited window to change how we structure our economy. 
We're seeing record record revenue from oil and gas that allows us to do all these things we're talking about today, make investments in many areas. The governor said in her state of the state speech, New Mexico is a clean energy state and a national climate leader. How do we square those two things? So I I think we we absolutely are a climate leader. Um, But I also think it's important, and this was this reference back to the call from uh, Camila earlier, right? Um, There was a discussion around the role of oil and gas internationally and in our state. Uh, The United States needs to build 70,000 miles of high voltage power lines, transmission lines, to meet our federal climate goals today. 70,000 miles. Each one of those miles requires five towers to hold that those cables up. All those cables are made of steel. All those towers are made of steel. They're in concrete. You cannot make steel or concrete without oil and gas. How do we do this transition? We have to decarbonize the oil and gas industry as much as we can. And we have, I believe, the lowest carbon intense barrel of oil produced anywhere in the world is produced here in New Mexico. But we also, so we have to figure out how we're actually going to make this transition. And that's going to take copper. It's going to take steel. It's going to take concrete to build solar panels, wind turbines. Uh, It takes 40,000 pounds of copper to build an offshore wind turbine. Where does that come from? So those are the things we have to be actually very serious about. And that's where New Mexico can actually be a leader in the transition to a cleaner economy. But we also have to make those investments to do it in a way that is practical and actually works, not just relying on unicorns and fairy dust. Uh, I want to pivot back to Gwyneth uh, as we end the show. You are not a full-time statehouse reporter, but the Pew Research Center reported that while the number of journalists covering statehouses nationwide has risen, that's mostly due to newer nonprofit news outlets, since we have lost hundreds of newspapers over the last decade, there are fewer covering state government full-time. How might this be problematic, Gwyneth? Oh, my God, it's a disaster. I mean, (laughs) I'm not going to pull any punches here. We have lost a lot. And when I think of when I started covering state government, we had folks who had been on the beat um, for decades. And we had this sort of mass retirement or moving on. And now we do have the the light at the end of the tunnel is we have this new crop of folks coming in. So you mentioned nonprofits. Source New Mexico is uh, doing a lot of work up there. Of course, public radio and public television are up there, too. Uh, In my department, my students are writing for the New Mexico News Port and uh, doing multimedia work for the News Port. Um, New Mexico In Depth, of course, is one of the older nonprofits. But we've also got Searchlight. Uh, There's a lot going on and there are some new faces up there. I was really happy on opening day to see so many young reporters, so many Lobos, so many uh, folks, you know, showing up. Um, But we're, you know, we've got a sort of an experience gap where we've got to get these folks on the beat and no, they're not full time. There are many fewer people covering the beat full time. And it, it, you know, this is, like I said earlier, one of those jobs where it's all about just doing it and getting the experience. Um, and so we need to support the press corps in, in all of its uh, flavors uh, to make it more experienced. I want, and I'm just, yes. So support your uh, local media in whatever way you can. Um, and uh, thank yeah, you, Gwyneth. 
Sorry. We've reached the end of the hour. Thanks to everyone who called or emailed us. A big thanks to our guests, Gwyneth Dolan, Representative Ryan Lane, Rob Black, Mandy Torres, and Paige Knight. Please follow us on social media. On Facebook, we're at KUNM Radio. On Instagram, KUNM News.